Hello, friends. Hello, everybody. This is Rob Lightfeld. You're listening to Rob'servations. We are in the thick of the holiday season, the the bright, glimmering light. At least we hope at the end of what has been the weirdest, strangest, scariest, uh, most uh, stressful year that I can ever remember in my uh, many years here on planet Earth. And uh, today's episode, we are diving deep into holiday-themed comic books, holiday memories, some of them not holiday comic books. I'm going to be talking about some comic books that I bought for the holidays, as well as gifts, comic book-themed gifts for the holidays. Um, Some original art, some comic books, some toys, and uh, as well as reflecting a little bit on, on, on everything that's been going on in this last year. But we're going to get started here with this entire... Uh, idea of of the holiday season, whether it's Christmas, whether it's um, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. One year, um, you know, it was probably inappropriate. I guess t- in 2005, our family, our kids were very small. We took a picture of them, um, and and we sent out. Uh, in addition to our happy holidays card, we did a um, happy Kwanzaa card, and all of our friends uh, thought we were crazy. Um, my uh, a couple of friends had had told other friends that oh my gosh it's so sad that Joy and Rob misidentified their Christmas cards. But um yeah I'm not even sure that would even fly. But but uh we it was it was like we just sent them out to uh, about 25 of the cards that that had Kwanzaa on it as well. Um all all of the holidays whatever you're celebrating it's sacred to you it means something to you. Uh, I have Jewish family members on both sides. Uh, you know. Protestants, atheists, Catholics, Christians, all are um, celebrating something at this time of year, and uh, I just, I just uh, always love this time of year more as I get older because it's the end of the year, it's the end of the year, and it's kind of a time to decompress and to just hang out with family. <laughs> Except we've all been hanging out with family for what is the better part of ten months now, right? Um, but as as a kid, also comic books were always prevalent. They were always, uh, you know, uh, in my life and have, 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 have helped me cope with so much. And they have so many distinct memories. And I'm going to tell you, Marvel comics regularly, routinely, uh, from 74, 75, 76, those are the ones that I have put out the giant treasury size editions. I did an entire episode on treasury sized editions. I mean, these are mammoth. They're giant. They're bigger than your average comic book. They're loaded with with. Uh, they're generally always about a hundred so pages. So I mean, getting way more bang for your buck. I have mine. My I think my wife always every year is like, oh, well, we're gonna still put those out for the holidays. On one of the um, tables in the family room, I always get them out. They only come out once a year. They're my vintage copies. They're still in pretty good shape. Um, the giant superhero holiday grab bag, okay, was 1974. I think this is the first one. It's got Thor and Human Torch and Spider-Man, Hulk, uh, Captain America, Captain America, and Thor all coming at you, and in a really cool shot on the back, um, they're all running away from you. I think this is John Buscema with maybe some John Romita inks or maybe Frank Giosia. I'm not sure who inked this, but it looks like it's um, it's it's John Buscema who did the cover on this thing, and it's great. In, inside this. It has a, um, it has five stories, and it's got "Have Yourself a Sandman Little Christmas," uh, reprinting an Amazing Spider-Man Human Torch story around the holidays. 
It has uh, a Prince Namor, Submariner, one of my favorites, uh, you know, where he battles uh, Daredevil, and uh, supposedly there, there's a Christmas theme here, okay? Then there's a Daredevil and Black Widow story around Christmas, the Hulk versus Thing, and then the Avengers close it all out with a really, if you, you can hear that, my, my pages are, I'm flipping through the pages, and uh, I mean, you guys, you got five stories, they're oversized, I mean, it's like 12 by 18, this thing is mammoth, um, if you can get one, it was it was a buck fifty off the, the the magazine racks. I was telling my wife today, she got to understand. This is how we would I would encounter this, and I can tell you where I got each one of these. This 1974 one, I am with my dad running errands, and we stop at the 7-Eleven up on the corner. And I've told you guys many times on the corner of my uh, residence up until I was nine years old. My my memories up until I was nine years old. It's it's I, I sometimes I go there and it's like I'm standing in the midst of all my magic memories. The Pizza Hut is still there. It's Magnolia and Broadway in Anaheim, California. And on the corner of Magnolia and, and Broadway was the 7-Eleven, which looked at the liquor store, which looked at the grocery store, which looked at the Pizza Hut. The, that, that, that's your four corners, okay? And... Uh, the 7-Eleven was where I would go with my parents. I don't ever remember going with my parents in the liquor store. As I told you, I was a little bit of an outlaw with my skateboard or my bike, and I'd park it outside, and they always, I think, laughed because here's the little white kid with the bowl haircut um, and, and the too tight shirt because he, he, he keeps eating and, 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 and stretching out those shirts. <laughs> I did. I, I, I was. And, and But boy, did I spend uh, lunch money, lawn money, chore money on those comic books. But the 7-Eleven had these, you walked in through the glass doors of 7-Eleven and you walk past the counter and there's the magazine rack facing, you know, all the way on the back wall facing the doors. And these magazines like People Magazine, Sports Illustrated, you know, um, all, all the other kind, Life Magazine. I mean, these are as big as your big Life Magazines. If you don't know what Life Magazine is, it's the same size, like 12 by 18. And this giant super holiday grab bag was there, but man, it was a buck fifty. And my dad would not get it for me that night. That was pretty. That was that was a, that was a lot of that was a lot to spend on your 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 six year old kid, seven year old kid um, that year. But I, I made sure I saved up and uh, ran back and got it about a week later. Did enough chores. It was always great to um, add to chores. And I think sometimes my parents would like leave change in the sofas just so I could find it. So a couple, you know, make me work for it. D dig for those quarters and dimes and nickels. Um, I mean, coins. Coins were such a big part of my childhood. It was always whipping out the coins, right? And adding it up and making sure you had enough at, the, at, your, at your point of purchase. So 1975 brings giant size superhero holiday grab bag, you know, 1975 edition. And this one looks to be a John Romita senior uh, cover with all of the heroes decorating the Christmas tree. It's Spider-Man, it's Nick Fury, it's Hulk, it's Luke Cage, Power Man, and it's Doctor Strange. And the uh, back cover has all of them leaping off the roof of a house, and Santa is waving to you from the chimney. Uh, I mean, these are just great. In here, they selected another uh, group of stories. I mean, you, you got you got uh, a Nick Fury uh, story by 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 a, a bunch of talented folks. You got you got uh, Frank Springer. Um, Johnny Craig was the anchor. It kind of looks Steranko-y. It's cool. Um, then, then, you, then you got another Spider-Man story. You got a Spider-Man story here by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. And uh, then you got Jingle Bombs, which what the heck is it? What, what, oh, oh, Luke Cage, Luke Cage, Power Man, George Tuska, Jingle Bombs. Okay. Then you got a Hulk story, 
and you were out. Oh, Doctor Strange, a Doctor Strange story by Gene Colan. But I just and and that takes place around Christmas. So, um, you know, the 1975 edition had to get that too. Same thing, holding at 150. In 1976, once again holding the price at 150. 1976 comes that year's giant superhero holiday grab bag. It's a Gil Kane cover this time. Um, maybe Frank Giochia, uh, Giochia. I don't know exactly how they said it um, uh, on inks, but it's definitely a Gil Kane cover. Spider-Man thing, Iron Man, Thor, um, Hulk. And again, I just I'll, 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 I'll grab pictures of these in here, and uh, it's got a Fantastic Four. Uh, you know, uh, 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 it's got a Fantastic Four, uh, the the thing, and Spider-Man, Gil Kane, um, Christmas Story. Uh, it's got a Black Panther, the Avengers. It's got another Hulk. I mean, and again, the art being so big, as big as it is, it's just another Daredevil. I mean, again, these are just fantastic. Um, oh, the back cover to this is great. Gil Kane's got the Avengers on the rooftop waving goodbye to you. Silver Surfer is is surfing on by. But so really great comic book memories associating superheroes with the holidays, making them available one time a year. It really felt like you were getting something special. You were getting like an all-star cast. I mean, you've got Steve Ditko, George Tuska, Gene Colan, You've got uh, you've got um, Jack Kirby in here. You've got John Buscema. Uh, j just amazing talents that rounded out these terrific oversized tabloid treasury editions that made the holidays so much fun. And again, if you can find them, if you can grab them, they're fun. They're they're displayed in my house. I, I, I stack them, you know, and then kind of pull it down so it says 74, 75, 76. So you can see all the different years. Not each of them. My wife would not let me get away with each of them being displayed. She's very tolerant. Thank you, Joy. Thank you for loving me and letting me, you know, uh, uh, display this. But I'm telling you, you, when you can tap into that memory, when you open that 7-Eleven door and you see that, what is this giant Christmas holiday. It's, they're, they're coming through a wreath. The one, the one in 1974 where I said is by John Buscema with uh, Cap and Hulk and, and Thing. Uh, they're blasting through the hole of a giant wreath. Christmas wreath. So it's really great. Really great stuff. Always enjoyed getting these. And then um, one of the... one of the I'm going to tell you one of my favorites is by DC Comics. DC Comics was doing the same thing as Marvel. I just didn't value them in the same way because I didn't hold those characters in the same high, you know, uh, esteem that I did the Marvel characters, especially not then. I mean, I liked the Legion of Superheroes. I thought the Teen Titans of the pre-80s was fun, but I didn't love them. I, I, I bought them, but I didn't love them. So, like, Marvel was my first love, and I would always trend towards them. But then in 1979, uh, DC Comics puts out, in their regular rotation of comic books, a special. Um, it's a comic book... Um, it's regular comic book size, so not a tabloid, but it is, and it's a buck, okay? So it's a, it's a buck, and you're going to get five stories in this thing, and it has got the most beautiful cover by Jose Garcia Lopez. We do not talk enough about him. He was, is, remains DC's consummate uh, perfection artist. Every figure, every landscape, every face was beautiful. It was beautifully rendered. He's like their John Buscema. He drew almost exclusively for DC his entire career, uh, DC Comics Presents, he launched that book where Superman was teaming with a different superhero every single issue. It was kind of like their 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 version of Marvel Team-Up. They also had Brave and the Bold, so they, they understood the team-up um, team dynamic. And, and Garcia Lopez launched that. He did a book called Atari Force, which was a licensed book. He was doing a lot of their, um, their, their tabloid original uh, uh, comic books as well. They did a spectacular 
1978, Superman versus Wonder Woman, which after Neil Adams, Muhammad Ali, uh, Superman is my favorite tabloid. It, it really, uh, Garcia Lopez just took so much advantage of the, of the format. It's big. The fight between Wonder Woman and Superman takes up, I'm going to say a dozen pages. It's big splash pages, double page splash pages, great action choreography, knocking each other through buildings, just Wonder Woman really throttling uh, Superman, where you see as a kid, wow, Wonder Woman really can stand toe to toe and uh, go toe to toe with with, uh, with Superman. And again, and Wonder Woman is it has the had has the show on the air with Linda Carter at the time, so she was featured as much as they possibly could. They were really um, putting the spotlight on her because uh, especially that first season was a huge rating success for Wonder Woman. Linda Carter was just effervescent. She she every. Every, every boy in America was jonesing on Wonder Woman because she was so great looking and the action was great and settling, setting it. I remember the first season being in World War II was great, battling Nazis and space aliens. And then they made it modern uh, with, with the next several seasons. But again, ch- huge shows. I've, I've talked about the Lou Ferrigno Hulk show. Those are like the one-two punch of the late 70s, early 80s was the Wonder Woman show and then the Hulk show. Wonder Woman first and then Hulk followed and kind of continued into the early 80s and uh, just huge, huge hits, huge representation of comic books on on television. And because Wonder Woman, again, was um, so, so so larger than life and getting all these big ratings, you know, they, they, they were doing the best they could to, to, to showcase her. And so Garcia Lopez, again, if, if you can hunt that down, it is just, just a fantastic action adventure comic they battle nazis and the japanese it's the, the superman and wonder woman is, is set in world war ii again reflecting the tv show which was set in world war ii at the time um can't can't recommend that book higher but what i'm speaking of now the cover that he did in 1979 december 6 1979 as a matter of fact uh the dc comics superstar holiday special came out and on the cover that jose garcia lopez illustrates uh, it has Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, who are always among my favorites, okay? And and Jonah Hex, so you got a Western character in there. Um, everyone's kind of going towards the sky. Uh, Superboy is beckoning you as he is flying into the stars with the Legion of Superheroes. It's um, right in here. It's Wildfire, Saturn Girl, Lightning Lad, uh, Phantom Phantom Girl. And, and they are flying towards a giant uh, twinkling sky, uh, star in the sky. And this is like the star that guided the shepherds and there's all the stories kind of have a star of David, um, guiding star theme to it really, really fits the, the Hanukkah and, and Christmas motif for, for, for this, that time of the year, Jonah Hex, his, his, um, his horse is kicking up as, as he looks back and his hand, his, he's got his hat in his hand as he's kind of, um, leading the charge off the cliff as, again, they're all going towards the star, which is in the center of the cover. They're running away from us. Sergeant Rock is looking up with his gun holstered and and, 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 and hand on his helmet. And Batman is closest to us at the camera and beckoning us with his arm out, like, come on. It says, join the world's greatest heroes in quest of a dream. And it really was a beautiful, um, uh, it was really a beautiful uh, celebration of uh, the Christmas and Hanukkah spirit that DC put out. But what caught my eye the most, because again, I'm telling you what a Marvel honk I am, but Garcia Lopez, this cover, worth the price of admission alone. It's so beautiful, so well drawn. But uh, so so 
there is my my my, my fascination with 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 uh, Marvel, as I've, I've told you. 1979, we've covered this. 1979 over at Marvel, you've got Daredevil heating up as Frank Miller has has jumped on the book and is is now providing his own dynamic uh, storytelling and a completely different approach to the book. It, it, it feels like a film that the figures are are really the the focus of every page. The the action choreography and. Uh, and Daredevil and X-Men are blowing up right around this time. This is right when Frank is taken off. Well, there's a Batman story in here, okay? There's a great Jonah Hex story. And again, Jonah Hex is focused on, you know, the the it's called the, the, the fawn and the star, and it's all about Christmas dinner. And again, the, the star looms large in the story. Then there is the second story in there, and this is the one that just turned my head. Appearing... In Batman, wanted Santa Claus, dead or alive, okay? Well, check this out. This is drawn by Frank frickin' Miller, okay? This story is drawn by Frank Miller. This is like a uh, 12-page story. If you can't get this or don't want to order this on eBay, you can get this on Comixology. I, I was able to access it immediately. This is one of those things that I didn't feel like I had time to go dig through my back issue bin and it wasn't readily available, but it was part of a Batman collection, so I was able to buy it because they've collected it. Obviously, it's very important. You guys know how important um, I believe and 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 that, in fact, Frank Miller's depiction of Batman is, you know, to the success of the character going forward, lest we forget Stephen King himself in the, uh, I think it's Detective Comics 600, wrote a lengthy diatribe that I read to you guys in one of the podcasts about how Batman was, um, he was losing titles, he was losing sales. And prior to Frank Miller and Dark Knight, there was the thought that he was going to go the way of Lone Ranger, Tarzan, The Phantom, The Shadow, Doc Savage, um, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, all these characters that were giant pop superstars prior to them suddenly one day not being as relevant. And, it, and it's fun trying to keep characters relevant over the years and keep them in the equation as the deck is always getting reshuffled and somebody is always coming to the fore. I mean, you know, was the world at large a very different place before The Walking Dead hit in 2009-2010 as, as a TV show? We all knew it was a comic book. But who knew that it would then blow up on AMC and create 200 plus hours of programming, three spinoffs right now, more in the works? So Walking Dead, and, and I'm always of the thought that something that happens replaces something else. And my wife and I used to, like, we joke about this all the time. So what emerging thing took something else away? It's, it's, it's that way in sports too. Athletes, the latest quarterback diminishes the other guy. The other guy goes to the back of the line, right? Well, Frank Miller saved Batman. The Batman books were getting, you know, removed. The titles were lessening. He went from four books to two books, Okay. And then Dark Knight, he blows up. Well, what you need to know is that in 1979, the first, and it is a badass from page one, you're like, oh my gosh, this art is fantastic. Wanted Santa Claus, Dead or Alive, written by Danny O'Neill, who is one of the classic writers of the Bronze Age, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, his work with Neil Adams, this uh, his Batman work, he is celebrated. He is the author of this story that Frank Miller and Steve Mitchell illustrate and there there are people sometimes apologists who, who try and tell you and don't believe them for one single minute um i've, I've been in groups I've, i tell you about these groups i'm part of a lot of groups i love to talk comics i think you guys have picked up on the fact that i am obviously a comic book enthusiast um at the very least you guys have picked up on that and uh in one of the the bronze age groups that, I, that i'm in there's a couple guys who always want to diminish frank miller as being uh carried by a, a brilliant finisher 
inker named Klaus Janssen, that somehow Klaus Janssen is solely 100% responsible for um, all of Frank's success, given that he inked Daredevil, he inked Dark Knight, he inked most of Dark Knight. If you go through the actual Dark Knight book, Frank starts inking uh, m the majority, if not splitting the inks on, on issues three and four because he has such a singular vision that he wants to start shaping with how his work is inked and represented. And and uh, and obviously he's got Lynn Varley, who he eventually marries. She's state-of-the-art doing these amazing uh, painted color works over him. So Frank is really focused in how he's going to shape and, 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 and uh, create his art. And prior to that, he had done the groundbreaking Ronin miniseries, which was like, sci-tech east meets west futuristic manga i mean it's 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 fantastic frank pencil inked all that he's a very capable inker he inks a bunch of his own covers when he was doing like five to six covers for marvel like in 81 82 i mean the guy was a cover beast but uh frank miller also was his his work that that is inked by terry austin is stellar his work inked inked by joe rubenstein anyone who ever wants to tell me that klaus jansen is the reason Frank was successful. I, I then asked them to explain to me Wolverine, which was inked by a totally different inker named Joseph Rubenstein, who inked all four issues, 80 plus pages plus covers. And that work is is brilliant. It is It lives in our hearts and minds as equally as important. It certainly outsold the Daredevil work. But then, and then again, the Terry Austin jobs that he inked over Frank Miller are, are beloved. They're, they're amazing works of just comic book art. But this story in particular Early Frank Miller, and it looks as good as any Daredevil job that's coming out of that time that he's doing, is inked by Steve Mitchell, who is an inker that didn't ink a ton of, 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 of Frank, but he inked this job. And Steve was presumably a new inker, also coming out of like the Dick Giordano school of ink. But uh, this story, uh, Wanted Santa Claus, Dead or Alive, is, uh, is a 10-pager, 11-pager, a 12-pager, is a 12-page entry. And it is worth the price of admission alone. It is part of different collections. Um, he, he uh, Batman swings into Gotham, upsets some underground uh, mobster-driven uh, casino gambling establishments, uh, goes up against the heavies, the mobsters, and the gangsters. And uh, oh my gosh, it, it is just a fantastic, if you are a Frank Miller fan and you did not know this existed, now you do and there's no excuse for you not to obtain it somehow, whether it be through a back issue or it be through digitally on Comixology. And you can see all of the tenants that Frank would bring out. Uh, I mean, it really looks like an issue of Daredevil with Batman instead of Daredevil. It's it's so beautifully drawn. I love it. It's great. Got that all that great figure work, that tension, the lighting, the rendering. Um, and, and again, it's a, it's a just cool little short crime story in Gotham and it's got a, you know, a bat, uh, uh, it's got, it's got a Santa Claus, uh, a Santa Claus, uh, guy who plays Santa Claus on the streets, you know, at the center of it. And, and I, I just, this is the centerpiece of the DC comics, the, 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 the superstar special. Okay. This is the centerpiece of the, uh, of, of, of the Christmas superstar holiday special. Okay. Holiday special. And, and I mean, you got, you got this amazing Batman story by the guy who would go on to eventually redefine, uh, Batman with Dark Knight. And, and trust me, this is labeled on everybody's collection. And, and if you'll see it in a store and you grab it, it's going to say on a sticker, first Batman, first Frank Miller Batman. This is it. First Frank Miller Batman. Um, great 12, 12 page story. And, and, oh, I mean the splash page alone with, with, with him swinging over a nativity scene is just fantastic. And again, you're going to see Frank 
So that's Steve Mitchell, Joe Rubenstein, Terry Austin, Klaus Jansen, also Bob McLeod has inked Frank a couple times, Frank himself. Frank's work shown through. Don't buy it. Klaus Jansen is brilliant. He is a fantastic artist in his own right, but he is not responsible. He is not. The, 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 there, are, there are like apologists who want to say that Frank wasn't that good and he was carried. It's, it's weird how, how time changes the stuff that we loved and, and, and worshipped. And then people try and alter the conversation. And I'm telling you, don't let that happen. That, that conversation should not be altered. Frank was a star no matter who was inking him, no matter what he was doing. Continuing through the issue... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, there's a great legion of superhero stories. Okay. And, uh, and I, I mean, it is, it is, it is a beautiful story drawn by the aforementioned, you know, uh, Jose Garcia Lopez. There's a Jonah Hex story. There's a house of mystery story. There's a Batman story. And there's, um, uh, uh, Legion, Jonah, Sergeant Rock. That's it. House of Mystery and Batman. It's a great sampling of the DC universe. That you got some of their horror tile titles at the time through House of Mystery. You got their Western book representation through Jonah Hex. You got their military with Sergeant Rock, and then you got obviously their their two superhero franchises, the Legion, which is from the the future, and and the Batman story. And and so that's a, that that book was near me for years. Because of the fact that, oh my gosh, did you know that Frank Miller did Batman? Like, at the same time he was doing Daredevil. And it did. I would look at this story repeatedly and wonder what had... Um, because they're both street-level heroes. Daredevil and Batman have a lot of similarities. They're, they're street-level. They deal with um, crime lords and, and, more, and more, more basic criminal elements. They don't battle a lot of guys with superpowers. They battle a lot of crazy people, madmen. But it's all very on a crime... Uh, street level, grimy, dirty. They they live on the rooftops. They swing on you know the bat line. The, the Daredevil has Billy Club. I mean, obviously Daredevil has the senses and he's blind and that's cool. But very similar approaches. That's why I mean even even Dark Knight again. It's on the rooftops. It's in the cities. It's with the gangs. It's in the barrios. It's in the bars. It's in the underground casinos. I would look at this and go, man, what if what if Frank had continued on on Batman? It's really exciting. So. Could not recommend that more highly, but um, that around that same time, and this is like my biggest, most resonant Christmas memory. So I'm in junior high, okay, 1979. I'm 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 uh, you know in junior high, and let me tell you something. On December 17th, the day that I'm recording this, this will be up on the 18th for you guys to con consume. But on December 17th of 1979, it was the last day of um, of school before Christmas break. And our, uh, uh, our school was, uh, was, we, we rented out a, a skating rink in Fullerton, California on the, on the, is it the, the, the corner of Orange, Orangethorpe and, and, and Euclid up in Fullerton was a place called Skate Barn. Skate Barn was open year round, big giant red barn. Skating was a big deal. Roller skating was a huge deal. The kids of the late seventies, um, I know it's been coming back. I've seen a whole bunch of skating stuff in in the in this this year with the pandemic and 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 how people are getting out and exercising and using it as a, as, as a fitness regime, as also as just a, a, a fun uh, rediscovering the fun of of, of um, roller skates. And trust me, I had many many pairs of roller skates. I was a mean little speed skater. I loved them, and I loved going to roller skate rinks with my friends. And especially during the summer, it's where you got to hold girls' hands and and skate during dances. But this is a cause for celebration, man. This is the last day of school, Christmas 
1979, the end of a, you know, we're, we're ringing in 1980 in a couple weeks, the beginning of a whole new era. It was very exciting. And uh, we, you know, had a half day and then we all got on the buses and, uh, you know, about 1230, we, we went over and we, we, the school had rented out uh, for the junior high. They had, in uh, a couple other junior highs in the area, they had, we had booked the rink for, um, you know, till two two thirty three o'clock in the afternoon and me and all my buddies and everybody, girls, boys in the class, we went and had a great time and, uh, time was over. My mom, you know, was picking me up outside and I, I said goodbye to my friends knowing I wouldn't see most of them until the new year when school got back together. And my mom, uh, we, we drove home back to Anaheim and on the way home, we stopped off at Seven Eleven. And on the 7-Eleven was the latest issue of the X-Men. It was X-Men 131. It's uh, Prisoners of the White Queen is on the cover. It's John Byrne. It's Terry Austin. This is the meat of this legendary award-winning run. And uh, this is the third part of the first arc, finishing up the first arc that would introduce us all to Dark Phoenix. White Queen has captured the X-Men. They are, you know being held by the Hellfire Club. We 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 learn how powerful White Queen is. She can go toe-to-toe with, with Jean Grey Phoenix, who is, uh, we've already seen is like, you know, cosmic level in, in, in terms of her power. And White Queen is this really um, just uh, formidable telekinetic uh, that, 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 that we've been introduced to. Dazzler was introduced uh, as part of this run. The cool thing that Wolverine is being held in the cage Kitty Pride is on the run. She's introduced in here. She's she's on the run as this thing begins, and the X Men encounter her and tell her not to be scared. And and then Storm and Wolverine and Colossus are in cages because they already um, heisted them from the uh, soda shop a couple issues earlier. And Wolverine is only in his trunks, so he's got his full head to toe furry form. And I I, I kind of believe this is the first time we saw how exactly how furry he was from toe to to neck. I mean, this guy is covered, and he looks. Very, you know, very feral. And of course, that's what we loved about Wolverine and Colossus um, is, is also only in his trunks. And and I mean, then you got Aurora's just in her bikini, you know, outfit without the cape. I mean, it is it is artistically, it's a beautiful issue. It's a powerful issue. Um, the, the, the showdown between Phoenix and White Queen. We've already seen how powerful White Queen is, but it's the first time that we see the step up of Jean Grey's power that she, she if she activates that Phoenix bird, you know, you really don't stand a chance. It ends on a giant cliffhanger because Jean Grey is is being compromised. Um, that th- there's something wrong with her her memories, her perceptions, and this is part of Jason Wingard, who will be revealed to be mastermind as he is slowly taking her over. And and again, issue one thirty one in six issues. Come summertime, we're going to be in the middle of the Dark Phoenix saga. At the end of the Dark Phoenix saga, as a matter of fact. And so this is the beginning of the end. The significance of this comic is I took it home. And I couldn't stop reading it. It was I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go to the skate ranch. My mom dropped me off at the comic book store. I am 12. I am excited to have this comic. Um, I think I got an Avengers comic too, or whatever was out that day. And uh, climbed, you know, went, went home, jumped into my room, jumped on the bed. It's probably like 4 o'clock in the afternoon now. Read my comics, had a snack, and I went to sleep. Why are you telling us this story, Liefeld? It's the beginning of Christmas break. I woke up. And you guys have all experienced this at some point, or maybe you haven't. And if you haven't, good for you. I woke up probably 5, 5.30. I'd gone into pretty good sleep, um, tired myself out, and I felt deathly, deathly ill. Deathly ill, very sick. 
and ran to the restroom and vomit fest, you know, uh, number one started and it was the start of a seven day, uh, really, really serious high fever flu. Um, you know, the, 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 the sharp pains. I mean, now I'm not really sure what happened along the way, but when I emerged from the bed, uh, you know, right before Christmas, very weak. I was, I was just remember I was extremely weak. I had pr- trouble putting anything down. We rode the fever out. When I emerged, I had lost over about a seven day period. I had lost 12 pounds. I was also about an inch taller and, and it was this weird, this will always represent this really weird transformation for me that I went to sleep one afternoon, woke up that evening of December 17th, uh, 1979 was deathly ill. Remember very much. And the photos of me before and after are, I'm like a, I look like a different person. And as a, as a young kid, I, I suddenly had a taller frame. I was 12 pounds, uh, lighter. I looked different. It was the guy, the kid in the mirror looking back at me. It was like, I, I had my own Bruce Banner Hulk transformation. It was very strange. And, uh, and yet, you know, uh, it, 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 it defined that entire, uh, Christmas holiday break for me. And this comic book was always nearby. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that my big gifts uh, that year were Micronauts too. I remember Christmas morning, I was um, healthy enough to get out of bed and sit far away. My, you know, my sister didn't want to get my sickness. She's seven years older than me. She had teenage things to do and didn't want me cramping her style. So uh, I just remember I got Baron Karza and, uh, and, and, and some Micronauts. And that was a very exciting uh, Christmas for me in that I grew, I got lighter, I looked different and I went to bed before when I was feeling healthy, uh, with, with, with Jean Grey clobbering the white queen and the X-Men besting the Hellfire Club in their first big giant showdown. We didn't know what, what was coming with, with Sebastian Shaw and the full ranks of the, of the Hellfire Club. But, um, that comic was near my side the entire time. It wasn't like I was going outside. I couldn't go play with any of my friends. Even after I wasn't sick after Christmas, you know, um, my neighborhood, I was really fortunate that when we moved to this neighborhood in 1977, I had two mics uh, on my block. Um, and then I had an Eddie. I had a Mondo. Mondo was such, oh, he's one of my favorite people in, of, of my entire childhood. We had so many, had played so many adventures, games, you know, disc guns, pellet guns, um, you know, what you, what you, you know, role playing is what they would call it nowadays, reading comics, chewing gum, candy, skateboards, bikes, Mondo, uh, two mics, uh, Craig and Eddie. And, and that was our crew. And we hung out all the time, except after I had been sick for all those days. And trust me, I was back in my room in, in, you know, Saturday, the 18th, Sunday, the 20th, I would hear the doorbell ring. I would hear my buddies knock on the door. Hey, can Robbie, Everyone call me Robbie. Could could Robbie come out to play? And no, Robbie is um, can't move right now. He is deathly deathly ill. My mom would say, which is not a good um, billboard for when you want to get healthy. Because I was then on another week moratorium. I remember going out, walking across the street, wanting to talk comics or TV or see every what everybody else got for Christmas. And I knocked on my friend Craig's screen door and Mrs. Uh, Craig's mom was very sweet. And she said, oh, hi, Robbie. Yeah, um, we're not going to let Craig p- play with you for a few more days because you were so sick. And I, I know you understand that. And, and say hi to your mom and your family. And she closed the door. And uh, so, so, you know, but through it all, what did I have on my side? 
I had this comic book, okay? And I also had that DC Comics holiday super special that Frank Miller did the Batman. Because when you're confined to your bed and you're confined to your room, you're then spending a whole lot of time with your comic books. And I've told you before, there are no comic book boxes. I have not discovered a comic book store at this time, okay? I am, I am, there aren't comic book boxes. There's comic book shelves. And, uh, and, and I would put, you know, I would, um, I, I would, I would store, um, the, the, the comic books in a shelf in my closet. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the comics would just pile up and so eventually I started putting them in my drawers where I would put my t-shirts or whatever. So for those of you who are like, how, how does he, you know, how does he not take better care of these? I'm, I'm, I'll put a photo up tomorrow of this copy and you'll see it is wrecked. It is racked. It is, you know, I'm not sure I'd get a three from CGC on this comic book. It is in, it is, it, it is the comic that I carried with me. It looks like someone you know, used it to wipe up something too. But this is my X-Men 131 that came out December 17th on, uh, on, in 1979 that accompanied me home from the roller skating rink when I woke up and I had a terrible virus, got deathly sick, lost 12 pounds, grew over an inch actually. And, uh, and, and, you know, from that point on, I, I really think it, it was a combination of being sick and, and, and having a growth spurt because, uh, I was taller than all my friends for the next year and not till our freshman year would I become the short one again. They'd all zoom past me. But I mean, my, my junior high graduation the year later, it is hysterical. I am towering over my friends. Like I, I think I, I mean, I don't believe I got much taller than that ever again. But again, it's tied into these comic book memories, these wonderful comic book memories. And so sometimes you wonder where, where are the bonds, you know, that we have with, with, uh, with these characters and certainly Chris Claremont, John Byrne, Terry Austin, that's a, that's a deep bond that I forged. Okay. And, uh, and, and with this comic book and, and that is a, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a really powerful, strong memory. And again, trans then jumping again to, to, to Christmas where Baron Carzo was the toys that the Micronauts had come out in 1978. That comic book was red hot. They, they, they were probably on their second line. Of, of Micronaut toys at the time and, and Star Wars was um, not quite yet into their full pre-Empire Strikes Back phase. So the Micronauts was the big toy of, of that of that era. And I, I do, I define Christmas so much during that time between Star Wars toys, Star Wars toys and Micronauts toys, you know, until you get to a certain age and then I wasn't getting toys anymore. It wasn't, it was no longer Shogun Warriors or Big Jim or, or G.I. Joe or Star Wars or Micronauts. Um, but one year in 1981, 82, uh, one of my last really comic book related presents was I had gone to the comic store. Now I'm going to comic stores. I'm buying bags and boards. So all you guys with storage issues should be really pleased with me. And and uh, and I've got you know my my long boxes now that I'm storing stuff in. But one day they have a page of art on 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 display in in the uh, in behind the counter and. Uh, I'd never seen a page, a page, a page of original art up until that point. And, uh, not probably, probably right around 1980. It was a page from steel. There was a comic book that Marvel did, uh, about the indestructible steel. He was like a red, white, and blue patriotic character. I bought every issue. I think Don Heck did the first one, but this was by an artist named Juan Ortiz. And it was inked by Bruce Patterson, who I would go on to be a huge fan of everything that he inked. You probably know Bruce Patterson best from the inks that he did on either Brian Boland on Camelot 3000 or George Perez on Wonder Woman. Very much a, a crisp uh, Croquill guy, very crisp, clean, pretty line, fits into that 
somewhere between Joe Rubenstein and Terry Austin. That's why he paired so well with, with George Perez. He gave George that exact crispness that I think he'd always been looking for. And uh, But he, the inks on this page, this, it's a splash page. I think it's the steel number four. It's Juan Ortiz. It's got, you know, two panels, two kind of big splash panels of steel, uh, a quarter pa- quarter size panel and a three-quarter uh, size panel with steel getting attacked on the street. And I fawned over it. And I think they had said that it was like $85, which was very expensive. And I knew, well, maybe I would ask my parents for this. And the great thing is uh, I did. I, I brought it to the Christmas gods that were Paul and Patty Liefeld and said, hey, this year for Christmas, could I just get one gift? And it could it be this original page of art? I've never seen comic book art. I remember buying this comic book. I can't believe this is what it looks like. It's 11 by 17. This this is perfectly tied into our last episode about original art because this is my first foray, okay? And uh, and so my mom and dad said they'd think about it. And I think my dad was like, what, what does he mean, a page of original art? My dad, you know, was was always a little little skeptical, not on the mean side, but just wanted to understand a little better. Well, you know, I'd go back to that comic store several weeks in a row and that page was still up on that wall and I'm like, I guess I'm not going to get it. So it'll always be here for me to look at. I look on the bright side. It's accessible until somebody buys it. And certainly there was no digital camera for me to take a snapshot of and that I could come home and, and look at or, or a, a, you know, basically digitally scan. Again, this is, this is 1980, man. Um, um, technology didn't exist in the way, in, in any way, shape or form the way we have it now. So, so I, I, I would go and look at this Juan Ortiz page of artwork. And then the week before Christmas, dun, 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 right on, baby. They couldn't stop me from visiting. It wasn't there anymore. And the owner was very coy, wouldn't look me in the eye. I'm pretty sure at that point I knew my dad had gone in and bought it. And I could not be more excited. I think I got a couple of sweaters and my parents went all in and gave me that piece of artwork. And that just I'm I just stared and stared and stared at that and the one thing is it was matted on a pay, on a piece of uh, uh, a a powder blue like stock like almost poster board a little, little thicker but the original I've never peeled it off and in fact I do still have that page of art and that remains one of my most resonant resonant holiday gifts uh, because again whether it's comic books or toys. I associate the holidays with a lot of great Christmas memories. And that page to steal um, by Juan Ortiz and, and, and inked by Bruce Patterson um, was proudly displayed in my room up on my shelf. And I would look at it every day. And those those were, as you guys know, my aspirations to be in comics and to break into comics. And I am so thankful. And you're going to hear me say this a couple times now during this podcast. And I mean it. And uh, I think you guys know... Uh, my, my, my love of comics can't really truly be measured. You should ask my family. They know when I say, what does dad love? They go comic books and they're rolling their eyes because they know, you know, my son, God bless him, 20 years old, pulls in great grades, doing doing great at college. He's going to have a great career in business finance. And he sometimes walks into my office, sees all the toys and the art, and maybe I'm eating a, a candy bar at the time. And he goes, dad, what is it like? What is it like to, uh, you know, to, to 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 eat sugar and 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 play with toys you know every single day w- what is that possibly what is that possibly like you ne- you never grew up you're a kid you're a big kid you read comic books you play with toys you eat candy bars you eat too much sugar he goes man you never grew up dad what does that feel like and i'm like ah uh, pretty good I'm not gonna lie pretty good 
uh, 53 years old, I'm good. Okay, happy, happy to be partaking in the sugar, the comics, the toys, all of it, and making comics. And here's the thing you're going to hear me say maybe a couple times now is uh, I can never give back to comics what comics gave to me. What comic books have given to me, I will never equal. They gave me joy, friendship. Uh, they, 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 they gave me um, companionship. These characters, they took me away through crazy times in my life when my dad was sick with cancer in the hospital for an entire year, got a coma, then I had to learn how to walk again, and uh, I would go to the hospital, and these comic books would accompany me. George Perez, John Byrne, Frank Miller, they were my, they were my buddies, man. They, they, they accompanied me. And, uh, man, comic books... Um, have really always provided the best uh, entertainment, comfort, distraction, whatever you want to say. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, looking back at this year, what a crazy year. I mean, let's, let's be honest. What a crap year. What a shit year 2020 turned out to be. I can remember in March when COVID was breaking out, sitting on the couch, trying not to let my family see that behind my eyes, I was freaking out. What's going to happen? We didn't know anything in those first couple weeks. It was very scary. Uh, the news every day got worse and worse and worse. We didn't know what was going on. And I remember being a dad going, what, how is this going to affect my kid's future? How is this going to affect my kid's future? What kind of future are they going to have? Are we all going to die? I mean, I think we all had science fiction. We'd maybe seen too many I Am Legends, maybe watched Contagion uh, with Matt Damon a, a, a little a little too closely. Um, I remember thinking of Gwyneth Paltrow's skull getting opened up as they, you know, saw how compromised her brain was and how violent was COVID going to be? What was, you know, I remember those days like it was yesterday, that the, the quiet panic that I felt to be the leader, the husband, the, the, you know, the, uh, the son, my mom had just started cancer treatments and, and, and those protocols changed immediately of her going in and, and getting her radiation. Um, very difficult, crazy time. And I remember two, three weeks into March and, and reading how the comic book industry was coming apart at the seams. Retailers couldn't open their stores. Places were shut down. Uh, the stay-at-home orders were very strict. And I remember going, how can I possibly contribute? And I started drawing those sketches and putting them up for auction, sometimes one every day, one every two days. Overall, we raised, we raised over a quarter of a million dollars there were some private deals that went down, but I think, uh, you know, it wasn't always public auctions. People contacted me. They bought privately and we got money to, I think about 40 stores all across the United States. It was important that we spread, spread the love. As I've said before, the, the money never went to me. Uh, the, the pe person who won, I would, I would have them pay the store that was chosen directly. We would vet the store as best we could. We did stores in Maine, Virginia, Phoenix, California, Florida, um, you know, Illinois, uh, Oregon, uh, you, you name it. We tried to canvas the entire country. And uh, that was a coping mechanism for me. It probably was more getting me through each and every day, trying to help somebody else out and provide for comic stores because I'm going to get back to, I could never uh, give back to comics what comic books have given to me. The, the sheer pleasure and enjoyment satisfaction, killer memories. It unlocked an entire world of imagination for me in, in a way that I could never, ever appreciate enough. Uh, I do appreciate it. I just, I just can never give back. And so during that period of March through April and into May, drawing, 
trying to mix up, you know, would Venom and a turtle, you know, turn somebody on enough to keep giving money? Would, uh, would, would Lobo and Deadpool, whatever we mixed and matched, would Wolverine from Days of Future Past, would that get the job done? And you guys showed up. And if you're listening to me and if you're one of those people who contributed and you got a piece of art and you sent that money to a comic book store that was in need, thank you. Thank you for me. Thank you for that store. I really do appreciate how you guys came together. It was uh, really showed some tremendous humanity. You Using art to help people out will never, ever uh, not move me, whether it's a song you know, it's my generation. We saw Band-Aid come together, do We Are the World. A few, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's Do They Know It's Christmas. Band-Aid came together and made Do They Know It Christmas and the whole world stopped. Seeing you 2 and the police and Duran Duran and Bananarama and, 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 and Spandau Ballet, um, uh, Culture Club, everybody come together. Uh, and then, you know, in March after the Grammys, watching everybody continue that over in the U.S. with We Are the World, with Springsteen and Billy Joel and Michael Jackson and and and, and uh, Diana Ross and Prince and Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis. That's how Borat says it. Huey Lewis. But uh, art is, is always at its best when it's put in a position of, of helping and aiding others. And you guys, what a great rallying point. Uh, everybody who survived 2020, my hat's off to you. Here's the deal. Uh, unless there's some sort of bonus, uh, show, um, this is going to wrap it up for me for 2020. And I just want to thank you guys. What a great audience you have, uh, provided for me. You gave me just the best, uh, the best, uh, you know, interactions. And uh, I did this as a coping mechanism uh, to, to kind of, cause I, I think we all were a little, 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 uh, out of our minds there, uh, in the spring, uh, in, in, in the early summer. And I thought if I could podcast, if I could talk about comic books, I think that'd get me through the day. Um, I know we've all had it really difficult and my hearts go out to each and every one of you. And, uh, thank you for listening to the show. It has been a pleasure to speak to you, to interact with you. You are the best audience. I never understood having an audience, a podcast audience before, but now I do. And it's spectacular. It's wonderful. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you for carrying this show. Thank you for carrying it. I think this is 60 episodes. We did 60 episodes uh, since June. I have had the best time sharing comic book memories, education, history with you. And uh, I have so much work ahead of me. I'm so excited. I am so thankful. It was a couple years ago that I was like, I don't have that much time ahead of me. I got to get as much done as I possibly can. If you ever see me and you think that I'm doing a lot of work, well, first I'm making up for all my peers who won't work. But on the second hand, I really love comics. I love making them. They make me, they give me tremendous pleasure. The only thing better than reading a comic is making a comic. I think everybody who loves comics and makes comics would, would tell you that that is in fact the case. But I am so excited to come back in 2021, I'm going to kick it off with the making of Deadpool. It's Deadpool's 30th anniversary. He has resonated. He has uh, survived. He has um, really just had nothing but highs, if you're asking me. It's been one high to the next since I uh, introduced you to him in the pages of New Mutants 98. And uh, I am so excited to dig to, to, we're going we're gonna to talk about his, his comic book creation, his comic book appearances, his comic book popularity, his move into toys. How 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 he became this ridiculously popular toy to go along with being a ridiculous a ridiculously popular comic book character. We're going to talk about his foray into video games. 
We're going to talk about how he took over media, started making cartoon appearances, video game appearances, all the way building this giant, it'll be five years in, in February, five years of the first Deadpool film. But then there's the cosplayers. You don't think we're going to talk about how they kept Deadpool uh, alive, made him ever even more relevant, this Deadpool cosplay army? Um, there is so much to talk about. We're going to do that in 2021. The making of Deadpool will be here before you know it. It'll be my first broadcast of January 2021. I can't wait to share it with you. Thank you so much for all of the great memories you have given me this year. Thank you for just just being the best audience possible. Thanks for listening to me blather on and uh, and share comic books and all things comic books and pop culture with you guys. I'm deeply moved. Thank you for buying sketches and helping comic book stores continue to support your local comic book store, your comic book retailer. Um, if you can buy toys from them too, whatever you can do, you can go through your comic book retailer. It helps the business. It helps us. This has been a really weird year because my career has been in a great place this year while the world has been suffering. And so it's it's weird to balance. And again, as a family man, as a dad of three, it has definitely been uh, uh, a, a, a challenge for me and my wife, as with all of you who have kids or who are kids. And uh, hug your parents, grandparents, whoever they are. It's the holidays. Let's celebrate them. If you can get a, <laughs> a giant superhero holiday grab bag, do that. You will not regret it. Read some comics. Play with some toys. Thank you guys. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. I am on social media at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. At Rob Liefeld on Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. Hit me up both places. I got the blue check. It's really me. I, I love talking to you guys. Hit me up on Facebook, all social media. I'm always around. I'm ready to hang. I'm ready to talk and chat and interact. You have yourself the best holiday season you can possibly have. Spend it with your loved ones. Make great memories. Please take care of yourself, and we will talk again for certain very soon. 